Well, praise the Lord. Hey, I'm thrilled to be with you today. I, I played hooky last week. I had a chance to uh, uh, go duck hunting in a Kansas cornfield, and I'd never done that before. I'd always hunted on water, uh, and I never killed a duck in a cornfield. And I'm here to tell you today, I still have not killed a duck in a cornfield. <laughs> Uh, we, 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 we zeroed out there, but it was, a, it was a fun trip. But I want to give a shout out to Pastor Mike. Uh, last week when we did that kind of little fun thing with the car and this weekend in the Jesus Fest, all those people responding to Jesus. He has the grace of an evangelist on his life and just want to give him a shout out and just say we appreciate him very, very much. And I want to show you a little quick video before I get started in Matthew 6. Uh, it's about uh, a young man uh, who happens to be my grandson that's going to be doing a duet with me soon. We're going to do a tambourine duet. Uh, I used to play until it was taken away from me. And he's being schooled in this. He gets his rhythm from me there. <laughs> I thought you'd find that cute. Hey, turn your Bibles, Matthew chapter 6. We have been looking at the words in red in the Bible, uh, specifically this Sermon on the Mount. I've called it, Jesus Said What? And we're looking at what Christ said in these three short chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, that somewhat are a synopsis of all the teachings of Jesus. Uh, these words have literally influenced billions of people with a B around the world, Christian and non-Christian, how to live a life that's pleasing to God. Uh, even Mahatma Gandhi recognized the value of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, but in these words, Jesus, as you recall, just a brief review, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus started out with the secrets of a blessed life, a happy life. And he shared about eight different ways. Blessed are those. And then he would tell us a, a, pass of, a pathway of blessedness. We talked about our influence in the world is salt and light. Remember we talked about the Old Testament law as it relates to the new. We talked about anger and murder. And we got a little close to home talking about lust and adultery and divorce. And I was glad that was over. Uh, we talked about making oaths and keeping our word, retaliation, getting even, loving our enemies, giving, helping the poor, the Lord's prayer, forgiveness, all this in the Sermon on the Mount, all principles to live our lives by. Well, we've got a couple more weeks to go on this. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about worry. If there's some common element that all of us in this room share beyond our faith in Christ and our belief in God is, is a worry about the future. And we're going to explore that next week, see what Jesus had to say. But today I want to talk about two subjects. The first one is a subject that's rarely discussed in modern Christianity. It's called fasting. And uh, Jesus had something to say. And second, he uses interesting phrase, laying up treasure in heaven. We'll figure out what that meant and how it applies to us. So let's begin Matthew chapter 6 uh, as we talk about something called fasting. Matthew 6 verse 16, Jesus said, When you fast, presuming that a disciple, a follower of Christ, would have this set-apart life, don't look gloomy like the, yeah, the, the hypocrites, the Pharisees. These are the religious people. And if you recall in the short Sermon on the Mount, five or six times Jesus began to call out, uh, the hypocrites, and a hypocrite was basically a religious pretender. Uh, he would call them out, and he said they fast to be seen by others. Fasting was one of three ways that the Pharisees modeled their hypocrisy. Uh, the first, if you recall, they prayed so other people could see them. Uh, the second thing they did is they gave to the poor so other people could see them, and now they're fasting so other people can see them. So basically, Jesus is saying wrong motivation. 
He's saying at the secret part of our hearts, what we do to God, with God needs to be very needs to be private. He's not saying, you know, that you can't give in a public offering or lead in a prayer. But what he's saying, there needs to be a private part of our life that forms the foundation of our Christianity. And fasting was one example. Now look at verse 17. Jesus said, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. I don't like to fast. I don't know about you, but I'm miserable when I don't eat. How about you? <laughs> if you fast from caffeine, oh my, the headaches are coming. And God's not out to punish you. But it is a way to set yourself apart to get closer to God, particularly in a crisis. And I want to suggest that you hear these words in the context of if I have a crisis in my life and I need to somehow accelerate or intensify my prayer, uh, this, is a biblical, this is a biblical means called fasting. When you fast, uh, so that your fasting, verse 18, may not be seen by others, but by who? Your Father in heaven. He's in secret. And what will your Father do? He will reward you. So again, the issue here is our relationship with God is first and foremost, and it is a, a private first and uh, practiced first and private with God, our audience of one. Now let's talk about a spiritual fast. Now how many know if you don't have any money and you can't afford to buy lunch, that's not a fast. You're just in a tough spot. But a spiritual fast is whether you eat sparingly or you abstain from food altogether as a means of showing some sincerity to God. Uh, when you fast, not only do you not eat, but you set aside activities like work or fun. In other words, if you're going to have a special day to draw close to God, turn the TV off too. I mean, you want to take some extra time to pray. Uh, if you're going to fast, if something big is coming up in your life, you want to seek God about it, maybe you fast lunch, call the office and say, hey, I want to come to the altar and I want to pray in church today during my lunch break. Fasting is a special set-apart time to God. Uh, there's three types of fasts. Uh, a normal fast, uh, which simply means we don't eat for a period of time. Now, in the biblical era, a Jew would typically fast from daylight to dark. It would be a fast where they would eat at night, obviously not during the, uh, the nighttime when they eat, but they'd skip breakfast and lunch and they would eat at dinner, and it would be a special time of prayer. This normal fast, typically a liquids would be allowed. Uh, there was a partial fast where the diet was limited. You remember uh, Daniel did a partial fast. Uh, he fasted from what was called the sweets and the meat when uh, the king was feeding him. Uh, there's an absolute fast, which is rare, but it happens. It's when you abstain from both water and food. This, particularly if it's longer, it must have a supernatural element. As Jesus fasted, what, 40 days and 40 nights. That was clearly supernatural, and then he began his public ministry. Now, let me give you some examples in the Bible of people who fasted. And again, what you'll see is two big categories. One, a crisis. And the second is something big in God is about to happen. And they wanted to set course the right way. In terms of a crisis, a guy named Jehoshaphat, you remember, he was the king of, of Israel, Judah. They're, 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 they're being attacked by vast armies. Uh, the odds are against them, so they proclaim a fast and they pray. God answered the prayer. You remember Esther? She was going to be used to save the Jewish people. She was to go in front of the king. Uh, those days, uh, you had to have an invitation or you could literally lose your life. She said, well, I'm going to take a risk for God. But you know what she did? She fasted first and other people fasted with her. Uh, how about David? King David had a child that was dying. Now, that's a crisis. It was the result of the, uh, the adultery between he and Bathsheba. This time, the fast didn't work. 
I cannot guarantee you that a fast is the way to twist God's arm so he'll do exactly what you want. But it is still a way to intensify our approach to God. Uh, Ezra, Ezra's going through the wilderness, if you recall, back to uh, the promised land, back to Jerusalem. He knows there's danger. So before the danger, he and his men fasted and God watches over them. So that was the crisis. Now, second, how many know Jesus began his public ministry with what? A 40-day fast. Paul the Apostle, when Paul started his ministry to the Gentiles, he was in a prayer meeting with prophets and teachers. The prophetic word came that he would start a ministry to the Gentiles, which is who we are, non-Jews. Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, churches all over the Mediterranean world. Because of this man, well, it started in a prayer meeting followed by fasting. So this is kind of times that we fast, whether it's in a crisis or whether it's uh, whether God's about to do something big. You have a big decision. Perhaps you're starting a business, getting married, going into a ministry. These are all ways because fasting is like a, a spiritual turbocharger. Uh, how many know if you have a vehicle and it's got a turbocharger, you know, and you hit the button and it shoots you out? But uh, how about a, like a four-wheel drive truck? I mean, you're driving your truck, you know, you're being cool in the woods and it gets a little muddy and you just hit that magical little button and all of a sudden two more wheels engage and it supercharges you. It gives you something you didn't have. Well, this is the potential of a fast. And again, it's not something we talk about a lot because we tend to be so blessed in America and there's some natural means for every problem that we might have, a loan, a pill, or whatever the case is. But I'm telling you, in the Bible, they didn't have all those things, but they knew God was big enough and God was able. And fasting was a part. And Jesus said, the main thing is when you do it, let it be private between you and God. And God will see you in private and God will reward you. Now let's shift to the second part. Uh, and I want to ask you this question. Where's my treasure? Where's my treasure? Matthew 6, 19, the second time in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus talked about our material world. Remember, he talked a week or so ago, we read about our giving to the poor. Now he's going to talk more broadly about our, all our material world. He's going to talk about the possessions that we have, uh, the monies that we receive. And it's not about giving as much as it is about the potential of possessions to affect my relationship with God. And what you're going to see in these next few scriptures is there's a tug of war. There's a fight going on for which am I going to love first and foremost. Am I going to love God more or am I going to love the pursuit of possessions more? In no way is this meant to condemn in any way. The same Bible where Jesus is going to warn us about the danger that money can bring also says that God blesses us. We're told to pray every day that God would give us daily bread. The Bible teaches, and I'll read later, a scripture that said God gives us things to enjoy. You know, don't ever feel uh, guilty or that you have to apologize if you're able to buy a new car that you can afford or own a beautiful home. But yet at the same time, we want to realize that these same potential blessings can turn into curses if they divide our heart towards God. So this is where Jesus is going. And, and he uses this contrast between earth and heaven. He says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and thieves break in and steal. In other words, everything on this earth is temporary. If you have a beautiful dress, and this was particularly true when there were more wool clothes that were worn, but uh, if you didn't put mothballs in that closet, if you didn't preserve it in, in such a fashion, you might go in next time you wanted to wear it and it was destroyed by insects. Similarly, rust. 
you can have a, a, a beautiful gun, and I, I, I've done this on occasion. I've, I've duck hunted or hunted, and it was a little wet, and I didn't get a chance to, to clean it and to oil it down and get rid of the, of the moisture. Well, what happened is the gun began to rust. And if I'd forgotten it in the closet for months, what would happen is it wouldn't even function because the rust would destroy it. And I want to suggest to you that everything you have in this earth is, is temporary. Everything that you own is either going to end up in, in a, 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 I mean, you could have loved what you just bought. You could have been so excited about it, but before you know it, it's in the garage sale. I mean, that's just life. It goes out of style. It wears out. And what Jesus is saying, don't give your whole life for the temporary, but invest treasures in heaven. Yes. And what does that mean? That means take some of your possessions, take some of your money, some of your resources, use it to help people in the name of Christ and use it to advance God's kingdom. And what you'll see is Jesus will say that that act is storing up treasures in heaven and God will reward that. Uh, let's keep reading. Verse 20, store treasures, your treasures in heaven where the moth and rust can't destroy it, where thieves don't break in and steal. Now here's probably the key scripture in the whole crux of the argument. Wherever your treasure is, what's it say? Yeah, there the desires of your heart will be also. And, and this is true. Wherever you put your money, if you put your money in duck decoys, if you put your money in a lease, if you put your money in a, you know, in a, in a, in a boat with a special motor, you're going to be drawn to it. And that's not sinful in and of itself, but the point is your passion is there and you want to be there. And if that's all that you do, before you know it, God has lost his place in your life. So what we're looking for is a balance. How many know you can be poor and broke and still love money? We're looking to love God and enjoy the things that he's given us. Now, why is this line so significant, the desires of your heart? Does anyone remember the greatest commandment in all the Bible? What did Jesus say? To love the Lord with yeah, all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And number two, love your neighbors yourself. If the most important ambition of our life is to love God with all our heart, we've got to be careful because this love of money, or they'll call it in Aramaic, mammon, which is material possessions, it can somehow vie for this passion of my heart. And before I know it, I've chosen the things over choosing the Lord. What we want to be careful of is that we don't spend all we get on ourselves, but we want to make sure that we store some in heaven. I don't know about you, but for me, periodically, it's a good thing to take a look at my closet and garage. For me, periodically, it's a good thing to compare that to what I'm doing, to whether it's help the poor, help someone hurt in the hurricane, uh, those little mission shoes that we bought. I mean, there's just things that happen all the time, and you can't do everything and support everything. But the problem is, if I do nothing, I still may have a feeling towards God, but the facts in my life are, is that my possessions have captured my heart. Well, that's what Jesus is saying. Look at verse 22. He's going to continue the thought. He says, your eye is like a lamp that provides light for the body. Now, kind of an odd statement, but I want you to think of it this way. What you focus on or what you look at is what your body embraces. It's what your body sees, feels, acts on. What you focus on or what you look at. And then Jesus said, when your eye is healthy, which means there's a single-minded devotion to God, the evidence is generosity. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with what? With light. But if your eye is unhealthy, 
Your body's filled with darkness. So what would an unhealthy eye be? An eye filled with greed. An eye filled with covetousness. An eye that's, that if I can't get, I don't know what the new gadget or thing is, but if I don't have one of those, I'm not going to be happy. There's a pressure. People, people go to college and get master's and doctorate degrees to figure out how to make us want something that we don't really need. And I'm not knocking the things in life. I like things. I don't know about you. Uh, money is not bad. But it is the love of money, the Bible says, that is the root of all evil. And that's what Jesus is talking about. So um, look at verse 24. And here's, here's kind of where the argument comes to a, a crux. No one can serve two masters. And the first master is God. And he's going to liken our material world to a master. No one can serve two masters. You'll hate the one and love the other. Be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot, and that is a strong, strong word, you cannot serve God and be enslaved to mammon or money or material things. And this is the great challenge for me. How to live in a world where God promises to bless us. I mean, know the scripture that says it's the blessing of the Lord that makes rich and adds no sorrow to it. The book of Deuteronomy tells us that God is the one that gives us the ability to obtain wealth to confirm his promise. So here you have a God that desires to bless his people. Jesus came that we might have an abundant life. For the tither, the scripture says, the windows of heaven will open. I mean, and you can look at the whole Bible in the sense that God is a God that wants to bless. But the same thing that can bless can capture my heart. And when it does, it can turn my heart away from God as first and foremost in my life. Now, this is, this is kind, of, uh, 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 kind of where we're talking about. Again, I don't in any way want to make you feel condemned, but I want to make you pause and look at your life, not just your feelings about God, but look at the tangible demonstrations of your life. Look at your bank account. And is there a reflection in my bank account that I am storing up treasures in, uh, in the kingdom of God? You know, trying to serve both God and material things is like trying to work two full-time jobs. I mean, you can't do it. It's hard enough to work one full-time job. You certainly can't work two. Now, let me give you a balance in this. 1 Timothy chapter 6, and in my opinion, one of the best scriptures in the Bible that talk about the balance of living spiritual people in a material world. 1 Timothy 6, 17, and I want you to say this, this first statement with me. God richly gives us everything to enjoy. Now, come on, you ought to be smiling when you read that. God gives us yeah, God richly gives us everything to enjoy. That is new decoys with swivel heads and, and, uh, and, and furry faces. Uh, that is new shotguns. That is new ammunition. That is new boats. Come on, that is new shoes for the closet ladies. That is new diamond rings. That is, come on, that is trips to here and that is trips to there. That is not just a vehicle, but that is a four-wheel drive vehicle. Are you with me today? That is not just something, but the Bible says God richly gives us these things. And I want you to see, he says to enjoy. And don't ever feel guilty if you're living a life, a balanced Christian life, and God blesses you with material wealth. Don't ever feel guilty or apologetic. Don't ever feel like you have to tell somebody when they say, oh, what a beautiful dress. Yes, but I got it on sale. Well, that's cool that you got it on sale. I like to shop sales too. But listen, when God gives you something, don't feel like you have to apologize for it. Listen, if God lets you build a swimming pool, if God blesses you, if you're able to get, you know, send your kid to a nice college or whatever the case is, how many know it's the blessing of the Lord that makes rich and adds no sorrow? No sorrow. No sorrow. Now, the problem in my life is never the enjoyment, but the problem is the balance. Yeah. 
Let's read the second half. God gives us things to enjoy, but look at verse 18. Tell the rich people, that's all of us, to do good. And here's how you do good. You're rich in doing good deeds. And my friends, I've found that good deeds usually have money attached to it. We're also to be generous and what? Ready to share. So if you and I will be generous people, if we're sharing with people that are in need, if we're helping, if we're advancing God's kingdom, if we do that, what's the scripture say? We will be saving a, a treasure. Isn't that what Jesus talked about? Storing treasure in heaven. We'll be saving a treasure for ourselves as a strong foundation for the future. And if you read the background, it's in the context of eternity. How many know God's a good God? He wants to provide for us and care for us. He just wants us to live in a balanced way and love Him more than we love money and things. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand today. Let me tell you how in my own world, how my wife and I try to prioritize or keep this balance in our, our financial world. The first thing we, do, we practice is tithing, which simply means anytime I receive any income, the first tenth belongs to the Lord. I don't wait to the end of the month. It's the first check I write. It's the first of it. It belongs to God, and it's never been a question. We've never made a decision, are we going to get this car, and that means we can't tithe, or this house. God's always been first. But here's where it gets a little uh, challenging sometimes. I want to keep an open hand to give offerings and help people either as the Holy Spirit leads me or as my own heart draws me. Yeah. You know, I, I was so proud of our church the other day. I think uh, uh, we've got a gang that's over in the Philippines and they went to Burma and India and uh, they had this coolest idea. They said, somebody has designed shoes that are, are, are built in such a way so that they can expand uh, sizes, I think up to five sizes with the Velcro and the other stuff, like 15 bucks. I don't, I don't remember how much it was, but it wasn't that much. And uh, uh, people in poverty that don't have shoes to wear can't walk very far because they don't have a way to go. Well, she said, well, could we maybe see if the church would, you know, help with some? I need 45 pair. I think they got 150. Amen. Well, what is that? You heard it, you saw it, and, and your heart moved you to do it. This, I always want to have a heart like that. But I also know my heart can be deceptive that sometimes I get stingy. Now you don't, but the person sitting behind you does. So don't dare look at them. I got a stingy side to me. My wife would give everything away, but not me. But here's something I, have, I make myself do periodically. I want to make sure that as I make more, that I'm giving more. I want to look at my life in, in, in not a feeling way, but in a practical, tangible way. And as, I have, as I'm making more, not just as a tithe, but I want to be able to do more to help missionaries. I want to do more to plant churches. I want to do more to help the poor. I want to do more of those things that are close to the heart of God. Because when we do that, we store treasure in heaven. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. Now, let me, let me wrap up with just four short stories that Jesus told in the Gospels uh, about money and our spiritual life. And, and here's the first one. It's Luke 19. I'm just going to read them briefly, but I think you'll catch the characters. Uh, and the first lesson here is that when God truly has our heart, we change what we do with our money. It's just a fact. When God changes our heart, it happens. Well, here's a guy. His name is Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is an IRS agent. It's my only hint at a joke today. And so I, 
He's a tax collector in the Bible. Well, they're tax collectors. You know, they, the Roman soldiers were the mafias, and they would go with them. And this big Roman soldier, well, he'd get a little money, and the tax collector would get a little money, and the rest would go to Caesar. And this is the way he lived quite clearly. This man was wealthy, but he'd obtained his wealth through improper means. Now, he finally listens to Jesus, realizing that something in his life was missing. And he realized that Jesus was the answer. But notice Zacchaeus stood and he said to the Lord, I'm going to give half of my possessions to the poor. Now, Jesus is not asking us to do that, but that just came out of his heart. I, I now know the reality. Of God. I'm going to give half of my possessions to the poor. If I've ever cheated anyone, I'm going to pay back four times as more. Now listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said to him, salvation has come to this house today. You can't buy your way into heaven, but how many know when you're going to heaven, you want to give your, some of your stuff along the way? And this is a natural part of the Christian life. Jesus changes our heart. See, whenever we love someone, we want to give to them. Uh, and the way we give to Jesus, I mean, no, Jesus doesn't need money and he doesn't need things. What, what, what is Jesus going to do with the shotgun? I mean, what is he going to do? You know, he doesn't need that kind of stuff. But when we help people in his name, see, we're doing this. But we give the things to people we love. Uh, my grandson uh, uh, that I showed earlier, well, when he was born... Uh, it was a very long labor for mom, so we took a break, and uh, uh, Rebecca and I uh, went to Cabela's, and uh, I'm seeing all these things that we need. Are you with me now? And Rebecca sees this, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a toy, it, not a toy, but a stuffed moose. Now, my son's dog is named Moose. He's this big old long-legged bird dog, but there's a stuffed moose that's about that tall. Now, mind you, the baby's going to be this tall, and it was pretty expensive for a moose, and I gave her all the rational reasons why we didn't need it, but her love language is giving, and since I had the money and she had the language, we decided that we would just get together, and we would buy this baby something that, he, that just sat in pictures forever, but we just wanted in some way show we loved him. Uh, my wife's on a mission trip. She hadn't left me now. Uh, she's been gone a long time, two and a half weeks, but she's coming back, and I can virtually guarantee you she's going to have me some little presents in there. She better. Her love language is giving and mine's receiving. But, 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 but I did the same thing. We were in Little Rock, uh, uh, somewhere in Arkansas, uh, a couple weeks ago, and just kind of walking around. She had this, saw this little thing she really liked, and I said, you know, can't afford it. And she said, okay. And I went and I bought it later. Why? Because I love her. Yeah. It's just what you do. And this is what Christians do as their love for God grows. This is why Christianity is not a long list of rules. Christianity is about a real relationship with the real God. And uh, anyway, Zacchaeus had that. Let me give you another one. Luke chapter 12, money and possessions, they're temporary. But here's the big statement. Life is not measured by how rich we get. But isn't it true that we compare ourselves to other people and if they have a bigger house or a nicer car or, or more of this or a nicer bike or whatever the case is, then they must be better than I am because they have more. Absolutely not true. Listen to what Jesus said. Luke 12, uh, Jesus said, Beware and guard against every kind of... Yeah. Greed is this insatiable drive and push for more. Uh, life is not measured by how much you own. Well, verse 16, Jesus told a story. A, a rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. 
Now, he didn't just get a couple dollar an hour raise. I'm talking to big bucks started flowing. Verse 16, he told them a story, uh, fine crops. Verse 17, he said to himself, what should I do? It is the defining question in the conversation. Money came into his hands. What am I going to do now? I don't have room for all my crops. And here's what I want you to see. I, I, I. What shall I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Everything in his life revolved around him. Then he said, I know I will tear down my barns and build bigger barns. I will sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, buddy. Eat, drink, and be merry. And God said, you're a fool. See, here's the problem. Everything in his life was about him. And this is what Jesus wants us to do. Open our eyes a little wider and realize that we can be content with less. If we'll store up treasure in heaven, we'll have the heart of God. And uh, eternity will be better off. Uh, uh, our eternal life will be better because of that. God said, you're a fool. You're going to die this very night. Well, I hope you don't die tonight. I hope I don't. But we're going to die one day. It could be two days, two weeks, two months, two years. Be 20 years. But one day we're going to die, and the question at that point be, with our material ledger, was it all temporary and used on ourselves, or did we store up some from heaven? They asked the question, then who will get what you worked for? Well, that's an easy answer. The lawyer and the guy that married the guy's wife. I mean, that's pretty... It's my second other joke. That just went out over your head as well. But the point is, you can't take it with you. But then he said, verse 21, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. He didn't say you're a fool to be wealthy. Remember the scripture? The blessing of the Lord makes rich and adds no sorrow to it. God gives you the ability to obtain wealth. But if it's all about me, then I'm in trouble. It's temporary. Let me give you another lesson here uh, from Mark 12. It's about the sacrificial heart and the sacrificial nature of giving will reflect our love for God. Uh, Jesus sat down near the collection box, mm, collection box in the temple and he watched as crowds dropped in their money. Have you ever thought about God watching us as we give or don't give? Whether it's the basket or the deals in the back or the debit machine or the little, or the little number you type on your phone. God was watching as people gave. Many rich people put in large amounts. And to the natural eye, to the bookkeeper, it would be, wow, that person, they really gave a lot. Verse 42, a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Now, I want you to think about pennies. I'm old enough uh, to, to have lived in a day when pennies would buy something. When I was a little boy, a penny would buy, uh, it was these... Uh, Red fireballs, uh, they were about that big. And I could go in and I could buy one of them or I could buy a piece of bubble gum, I mean real bubble gum, or I could buy a banana bike. And I even think I could buy a little, little peanut thing that would, you know, peanut crunch thing, all for a penny. And believe you me, anytime I'd go to grandma's house, my hands are going behind the cushions, you know, when I get in the car, I'm looking for pennies because pennies would be something. But today, most people I know, I watch them, they walk past a penny, don't even pick it up. Because it doesn't mean anything today. Well, in her day, listen to what Jesus said. It was all she had to live on. And Jesus said this incredible statement. The poor widow is given more than all the others. You say, well, pastor, it just said that rich people gave large amounts. 
I know. But Jesus said they gave a tiny part of their surplus. But she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. Why would anybody do that? I'll tell you, friends, it's because of love. It's because of recognition. Remember the gal uh, when, when Jesus is about to be crucified the night before? She takes a year's wages. Now think about whatever you make. Let's say you make 50000 a year. And for that 50000 you have a house payment, you have a car payment, you know, you live your life. But if you took that entire buying potential and you went out and bought one jar of perfume and you go to, it's one thing if you spill it and you wipe it up and use it again. But in this case, she poured it on Jesus' head or his feet and that was it. Why did she do that? This great love she had for God. See, this is why in Christianity, our focus can't be on nickels and dimes and quarters. We just have to focus more on loving the Lord with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, and all our strength. And guess what? Everything else falls into play. You'll deal with the moral problems in your life. You'll deal with money. You'll deal with the way you treat people is if you'll learn to love God more. Come on, give him a big hand today. Well, let's wrap up. Mark chapter 10. And I want to read a phrase up as I start this, and I want to read it at the end because it's a contrast of two people. Some people love money more than God, and some people love God more than money. But the choice is up to us. Here's the story. You might know the story as the rich young ruler. He's a guy, he's well off. If you can imagine, he probably drove up in a BMW. Or, no, he drove up in a four-wheel drive F-150. Come on, are you with me today? I'm with the little fancy little rims or whatever. But, but this guy, he's looking good. I mean, he doesn't have last year's tennis shoes. He's got those brand new ones that, that are out. And he, he just looked fine. But he was a deeply religious man. He was not some crazy guy. He was a deeply religious, he loved God. And he went to Jesus, and Jesus, he said, what should I do to inherit eternal life? I think more about eternal life as a 61-year-old than I did when I was 25. When you're young and you have health and, you know, mobility and wealth, you don't think about dying. But the older you get, the more you think about it. Because you realize life is just like that. When I moved to Texarkana 29 years ago, my son was about two, and he was this little blonde head just toddling around the halls of the church. Now he's 30, and he's got his own little one-year-old toddling around. Where did it go? So at some point, we all think about eternity, which, by the way, at the end of our service, we're going to give an altar call for an opportunity for you to receive Christ. Because Jesus is the one that opens the door for eternity through our faith and our belief in him and our willingness to follow. But anyway, uh, when Jesus responded to his question, verse 19, he said, you know the commandments, and he quotes five of the ten commandments. And this guy says something incredible. He said, teacher, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. But Jesus looked into his heart and said, there's still one thing you haven't done. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you'll have what? Treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. Now, I don't really believe that Jesus wanted him to actually go and sell it. I believe Jesus wanted to just reveal what was in his heart. Because Jesus doesn't need your money and he doesn't need mine. But it's a revealer of what's there. 
Verse 22, one of the, some of the saddest words in the Bible, he went away sad. He was just talking about eternal life. You know, he's been dead now for over 1,900 and something years. 1,900 years. And he wasted eternity for something that couldn't last. And then Jesus looks around at his disciples and said how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now listen, being poor doesn't make you spiritual. I know a lot of godly, wealthy people. But the challenge that wealth brings is enormous. And then Peter, verse 28, here's the contrast. Peter began to speak up. We've given up everything to follow you. Now I don't believe he literally gave away everything because, listen, Miss Peter and the boys still needed a place to stay. She still needed a stove to cook on. Uh, when he, after Jesus was crucified, he went fishing, you know, probably his boat. So, so, so it's, it's not like he was now homeless, but yet he had let it all go and he put Christ first. Is it just possible that he still held title to some things, but Jesus moved from this point to this one, that Christ became Lord over everything. And if Jesus wanted it, it was gone. And Jesus said this, and this is so incredible. Verse 29, Jesus replied, I assure you that everyone that's given up houses, brothers, sisters, so material things, relationships, mother, father, children, property, any sacrifice for my sake and for the good news of the kingdom will receive now. Now, in return, a hundred times, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property. And in the world to come, that person will have what? Eternal life. Now, that doesn't, this is not saying if you give up one house, you're going to have six neighborhoods totaling 100 houses. But what it implies very clearly is when we give into the work of the Lord, God blesses us. God cares for us. I cannot think of a better life right now. Listen, I have a beautiful home. I, listen, God has just blessed my life. I've given a lot. And I want to give more tomorrow than I give today, more next year than this year. But I'm telling you, friends, we all get to choose the life we're going to live. We can be like that rich young ruler and touch the edge and say, nope, I'll keep the decoys for myself, please. Or we can do like Peter did. And we can say, Lord, there's nothing I have that I can't live without. It's all temporary. And what's eternal is what we invest in your eternal kingdom. Come on, give him a big hand today. He's worthy of praise. Why don't you stand to your feet with me today? And, and uh, listen, we're thrilled you're here this morning. Did you thank God for that extra hour of sleep? I think I'd sign the petition if they just do away with it one way or the other. But I want us just to have just a moment to pray. In just a second, you're going to, you know, you're going to go about your day. Have a good afternoon. Maybe get a nap, whatever you do on Sundays. But... I want you to take just a second and just say, Lord, okay, what, what, is it, what did all this mean to me today? I didn't ask you for a thing. I didn't ask you to do a thing. I was simply teaching the Word of God. But the Holy Spirit is speaking to our hearts. Let's just bow your head just a second, and let's just pause on that, that fasting idea. Let's just pray and say, Lord, would you help me to remember that? Lord, either if I've got a crisis in my life or... Or maybe there's just a big opportunity or I'm about to make a big decision and I just need something extra spiritually. I, I, I just need assurance of God's will. I need help. Lord, would you remind me of that? That I can set myself apart. I can miss a sandwich for a day and I can go and spend an hour seeking your face and good things could happen. 
Lord, the bulk of the time today, we talked about our material world and we talked about treasures in a real place called heaven. Most people I know are not wealthy. Most people don't have a lot of extra. But yet all of us have the temptation towards greed and covetousness. All of us struggle with being content. All of us live under financial pressure. But I think the prayer today for all of us is a prayer, Lord, that we want to live a balanced life in terms of the stuff. We don't want to love money more than God. We don't want to be like that rich ruler that walked away because he loved his possessions more than the call of Christ. I want you to do something with me right now. Just bow your head just a moment, just as a symbolic act. Why don't you just take your hands as you put them in front of you and make a fist. And that fist implies the heart of that rich young ruler. He wanted God, but he wanted something else more. That fist implies the heart of a man with bigger barns that just said, more for me, more for me, more for me. But an open hand is the heart of someone that recognizes every good thing I have is from God. And I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to recognize him and be grateful for it. Just open your hands as, as if you feel this. And Lord, I want to take some of what you give me and I want to help other people. You're just not looking at the dollar amount, but you're looking at my heart, just like you did with that woman with two small coins. But Lord, if I have a lot, let me be a good steward of it. Let me realize that all I have has been entrusted by God. A good God. Just slip your hands up to heaven and just say, Holy Spirit, would you just come and fill me today? Lord, I, it's hard to live a Christian life. It's hard to live in a world of pressures. The voice of my flesh is strong. Sometimes my spiritual voice is weak. But I want to ask you to help me become spiritually stronger. I want to ask you to help me to hear the word of the Lord. I want to ask you to help me be a person of obedience. I want to ask that one day when I stand before you in heaven and the first time you look at me eye to eye and call my name, I want you to smile and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Just tell the Lord that's what you want. And ask the Holy Spirit to lead you to that place. And he'll guide you. It's more than willpower. It's just willingness. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Hey, let's close this way. We're going to have one last song. And uh, we're also going to ask our prayer team to come forward. Uh, there's many that will come for prayer. You like, maybe it could be something that was in the message. Or maybe you just need to talk to somebody before you go. We'll pray for you. But the most important prayer that I'd like to pray is if someone's here today and, and you need a personal relationship with Christ. What you need is a Savior. Jesus Christ is unlike any other religious figure that ever lived on the earth. And the reason he's different is because of what that cross represents. The Bible tells us what's called good news is that Christ lived a perfect sinless life, that he died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins and mine. And after he was dead in the tomb for three days, he rose from the dead. And today he's seated at the right hand of God the Father as King of kings and Lord of lords. That is the good news. And Jesus Christ is coming back one day for us. And he's preparing a place for us to live with him in eternity. Now, all that is true. It's all the teaching of the Bible that happened 2,000 years ago. But yet each one of us individually have to respond to Christ. 
Maybe you're here today and maybe you're not even sure what you're looking for, but you found that the things of the world don't bring the happiness they promised. Whether it's the new house, the education, the degree, the car, whatever it is, the relationships, it just kind of leaves you empty. Can I tell you, there's a God-shaped hole in every one of us. There's a desire and a need for God. Maybe in your life, the weight of sin brought you to church today. Listen, guilt can be a good thing if it points you to the cross. Because Jesus will take away your guilt and shame, and he will wash your sins away. It's like an old-timey blackboard. When you write it on the screen and you erase it away, that's what Jesus done with our sin. He forgives them when we ask for his forgiveness. Maybe that part of death struck you. That within you, like most of us, is a fear of death because we know we can't get there on our own. Can I tell you, Jesus promised not only would we live and die, but he promised that we could live again. It is the hope of eternal life for those who would believe in him and follow him. And if you're here today and say, Pastor, that's what I want to do. I want to put my trust in Christ. When we begin to play this last song, I'm going to ask you, invite you that if you're wanting to make a commitment to Christ, slip out of your chair and meet someone at the cross, and they'd be honored to pray with you. I promise you we will not embarrass you and don't want anything from you. Or maybe you're here today and you've gotten away from God, and today you want to come back. This is your moment, and this is your time. Go ahead and begin to play, Pastor Zach. As he begins to play, our prayer team is coming to the front. They're here for anyone needing prayer. But most importantly, you're getting right with God. I want someone to pray for you. We'll see you at the cross. Thanks for coming.